Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. We're going to have some fun with this message. If this is your first time, I want to welcome you. If you're joining us online and you never have before, I want to say welcome to you. Last week, we kicked off a series entitled Mandate from Heaven, and we're talking through, for about a month and a half, the mandate that I believe God has given his church, and that includes ours. And last weekend, we kicked the series off talking about what I believe to be priority number one, okay? So I asked the, the, the nine o'clock service this question. They failed miserably, okay? So now I'm going to ask you, if, for those of you who were here last week, what did we talk about? The presence of God. Okay, good. We're already off to a better start. Nine o'clock? I, I think that they, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But I, someone has stolen something in the nine o'clock camp, and God is not with us at nine o'clock right now. I'm just kidding. This week is part two of this message entitled, How's His Presence? And last week, what we talked about was the why behind the church housing the manifest presence of God. And remember, we talked about the three different distinctions of the presence of God, the omnipresence of God, which means God is everywhere at all times. We talked about the indwelling presence of God, 2 Corinthians 6, that when we become believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, dwell within us. And then the third distinction uh, of the presence of God is the manifest presence of God. When God comes close, when he reveals himself, that's what the word manifest means, when he reveals himself to be even closer than we thought in a particular moment in time. Last week, we talked about the why. This week, we're going to be very practical. We're going to talk about the how. So let me ask you a question. How many of us would like to experience more of the presence of God in our everyday lives? We just put your hand up. Good. We're going to talk about how, and it's going to be as practical as I can make it. I'm going to use some relational stories of my own marriage, and, and here's why. I think a lot of people look at the person who, who preaches on a stage like this as having a more intimate relationship with God just because of my vocation. That is so wrong. Remember, it wasn't God that said to the Israelites, at Sinai, hey, I don't want to be around any of you. It was the people that said to Moses, it's not good for us to go up to that. Okay? The people made a decision. This is not good. We, we, that's for Moses to do. That's for the godly people to do. No, no, no. That's for all of God's children to do. Okay? We can all go into his presence. But what we have to remember is God's manifest presence has a protocol. What that simply means is there's a way in which things work in the presence of God. Another way to say that is, there are things you do that God loves to manifestly respond to. In other words, when you do them, it causes him to want to draw nearer to you and draw you nearer to him. Psalm 65, verse four, let me show it to you. What joy for those you choose, speaking of God, what joy for those you choose to bring near. Those who live in your holy courts, what festivities await us inside your holy temple. Did you know God chooses to bring certain people nearer to himself? But I think we've turned this into some super religious thing that only the most religious of people are the ones that God chooses to bring near to himself. Nothing could be further than the truth. Just ask the Pharisees. That was Christ's frustration with the Pharisees. You should know better than this. You say you study God, but your study of God isn't bringing you closer to God. It's actually driving you further apart from his heart. The things that God loves for you to do are so much easier than you think that I think by the end of this message, you're going to understand in a deeper way just how badly God wants 
to be in your presence and how badly he wants you to be in his presence by how easy he made it. I'm telling you, this is not for the pastors. This is for God's people. All right? So, there's one-liners in this message. If you're new here, that's what we do here. We love one-liners. I love one-liners. They're like my addiction on this earth, okay? I love when God speaks, and I love when it's easy to remember, all right? So here's one of my favorite ones. Love studies what your beloved responds most favorably to. Love studies what your beloved responds most favorably to. Did you know there are things that you can do that cause God to respond favorably? Now, going into his presence is not a formula. But I am trying to teach you that it's easy. It can happen every single day of your life that you experience some of the manifest presence of God privately, not just corporately every time you come to church. All right? So let me give you the list. There are seven things. Here's the first thing on the list. And we're actually going to do every one of these in this service. We're going to devote a little bit of time to practice. All right? Here's first thing on the list. Accept the invitation. When we talk about going into God's presence, we have to understand that God extends an invitation to you to come into his presence. But you have to understand why and how you are granted access into God's presence. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Okay, this is not just talking about salvation. This is also talking about going into God's presence. Now, if I were a good theologian, I would bring up Hebrews chapter 10, that Jesus is our high priest, but because I'm going to do a whole message on this, Jesus being our high priest, at the end of January, I'm not going to cover it right now. But here's what I, I want to calibrate your heart with as it relates to going into God's presence. There is one reason why you're allowed to go in to the unbridled presence of God, and that reason has a name. Can you guess the name? Jesus told us. The only way, Preston, you can go to the Father is through me. Here's the one-liner way of saying it. Your direct access to God is a result of what Jesus did for you, not because of anything you've done for Jesus. Okay, this is really good news because some of you think you're not allowed to go into to God's presence because you haven't done enough good things. You need to just be reminded the only reason you ever get to go into God's presence is because of what Jesus did for you, not anything you've ever done for Jesus. That's good. That means God is letting you know he is not a fair weather father. Jesus, the perfect one, did what needed to be done. And if you... As a believer in Jesus, receive what Jesus did for you. In doing so, God grants you unfettered access into his presence. Here's why that's important. You can never go into the presence of God in pride. Because there ain't nothing you did that got you in. It's because of what Jesus did. That's why every time we go into God's presence, we should just be thanking Jesus. Jesus, I've always wanted to be alone with the God of the universe, my heavenly Father. And I realize I would never have this opportunity were it not because of what you did for me. Okay, so we're going to practice. I want you to close your eyes. All right? And I want you to get a picture that the God of the universe has beckoned you into his private chambers and you are escorted to the door, and the door is locked. Get the picture. On the other side of the door is the God of the universe, but this door is locked. And awkwardly, you are standing there, feeling like you should know how to go in. But it seems like you're not allowed to. And then, at just the right time, Jesus, the Son of God, walks up behind you, 
puts his arm on your shoulder and says, you want to go in? He wants you to go in. Here. Let me take you in there. And Jesus unlocks the locked door into God's presence. And as the door opens, the Father looks at you like he's been waiting to see you for years. And the Father looks at his son with such gratitude that he did what needed to be done so that you could come into the Father's presence. We're just gonna take the next minute or so. And I just want you to respond to Jesus for what he did and the Father for how badly he wanted you to be in his presence. Just take a moment. Tell him whatever your heart needs to say. All right, let's keep going. Point number two, second thing. You can, this is going to be so much fun, by the way. This is going to be an absolute blast walking through this. And I, I feel like making some kind of a, a statement to help you understand what's actually happening. I, I guarantee you by the end of this message, as you spend time walking these steps out, you are going to feel closer to God by the end of this message. And if you don't, I'll give you a money back guarantee. Okay? Even though you're not giving any money to do it, I, I'm just telling you, it's going to happen and you're going to see why. Because he loves these things. More specifically, he loves when you do them. And every time you do, he responds by bringing himself closer to you and bringing you closer to himself. Here's the second thing. Repent when things are not right. Repent when things are not right. What does the word repent mean? It means to change the way you think and also behave. I wanna show you why it's important to repent in your personal relationship with the Lord when something's not right. Because I think some of us have convinced ourselves that when we've done wrong and he doesn't say anything to us about it, that he's okay with the wrong we've done. Okay, I'm sure that's not you. It's just me that thinks that way, right? If he doesn't say anything, have you ever kind of had the thought, maybe I got away with it? If you've ever had that thought, let me just show you scripture that helps you understand you ain't get away with nothing, okay? Psalm chapter 90, verse eight, speaking of God, you spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. Okay, some of you are thinking, this kind of sounds like the opposite of what I've heard about how God handles my sin. I thought God covered my sin with the blood of Jesus. He does, he does. But you have to confess it first and receive what Jesus did, okay? So think about this. There are times when we do wrong in our relationship with God and we convince ourselves, no big deal, and it actually is a big deal and it's causing separation between us. Let's just talk uh, from a marital standpoint through how this would work in marriage, okay? Let's say uh, I did something horrible. 
uh, to my wife. I, I don't even know. I'm not even going to think about what I could have done. But let's just, uh, oh, how about this? This is going to be really bad. Okay, so don't punch me or throw stuff at me. What if I cheated on my wife and she saw me do it? Let's just jump to the deep end of the pool here. Okay? Let's say I cheated on my wife and she watched me do it. Question. Do you think that that would affect our marriage? If you say no, you don't know my wife. Okay? Or any other wife. <laughs> it would affect any marriage negatively. All right? But what would it be like if I pretended like it never happened? How well would that go? It wouldn't go well. What if I tried to go on date night the next day? Talk sweet to her. Said and did all the right things. How would you expect her to behave towards me? You think there'd be a little bit of awkwardness and separation between us? Of course there would be. Why? Because things aren't right. Here's what we need to remember. When something is wrong, it will never be right until we make it right. We can't just pretend it didn't happen. Even in our relationship with God. Well, God knows. Yes, he knows. But have I made right after I have done wrong? And we need to remember this. As long as I don't make it right, something is going to be wrong between us. And so the right thing to do is to repent, to address it, to make right what was wrong. I wonder if some of us who say, I just feel like God is so distant from me, I wonder if it could be a result of going too far after having done wrong, before we make that wrong right. Now, I have never cheated on my wife. I don't have any plans anytime soon because I like my life and I don't want to lose it. That's one of the reasons. But I've done plenty of things wrong to my wife. And you know what's crazy? That there's one voice I hear after I've done wrong towards my wife that says, it's no big deal, move on. She's being dramatic. Okay, incidentally, God never talks like that. Just saying. But there's another voice I hear. Just make it right. You know you did wrong. Just make it right. And you know something interesting that I've learned about marriage? That when I make right something that is wrong, it brings us closer together. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think for a moment about any area in your relationship with God where things are not right. Maybe you've done something, maybe you've said something. Maybe you crossed the line, maybe you've been okay with being distant. You're now in his presence. And I want you to get the picture. Every time something's not right in my relationship with him, I see the same look on his face. It's not just disappointment that I've done wrong, it's disappointment that I haven't tried to make it right. Look at his face. See the sadness. He's not mad, yelling, and screaming. He just wants you to make it right. So take the next minute or so, and let's practice. If something's not right, make it right. Tell him you're sorry. Do what needs to be done in response.
Let's keep going. Third thing on the list. Give him your thank you. Give God your thank yous. Did you know God loves gratitude? Have you ever been around an ungrateful person before? How, how, how do they land with you? You know, maybe you paid for a really nice meal and they don't say anything. How many of you, that, that drives you a little bit crazy? Like if you're the one that pays for the meal and no one says thank you, it drives you crazy. Yeah, I took a girl in college to Denny's one time and I, I let her, I let her, I don't know why y'all are laughing, it's a test. I, I let her order uh, a super grand slam. And at the end of the meal, she didn't say thank you. I was like, deuces. I'll never talk to you again. And it sounds kind of silly. Some of you are snickering, like uh, Preston Denny's is not meritorious of a thank you. Well, what does the Bible say? If you can't be trusted with a small thank you, then when the big ones come, you ain't going to know what to do. <laughs> yeah, that bounced her. <laughs> Someone under verse 4, just so you know, God's no different. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Here's another way to say that. God loves when you find a reason to say thank you to him. How many times a day do you tell God thank you for something? I'm not talking about the pre-meal prayer thank you. God, thank you so much for the gifts you virtually bestowed upon us. No, 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 listen. If that's all I ever said to my wife and I never told her what I was grateful for, we would have a relational problem. God loves to hear you specifically say what you're thankful for. Let me be even more specific. Write this down if you're not very good with thank yous. A sweetly crafted thank you says, I see what you did for me and I see your intimate why for doing it and I love you for it. When was the last time you woke up first thing in the morning and before God said anything to you, you just said, can I just tell you something? Thank you. Thank you for letting me wake up this morning in your presence. Psalm 139 says, you've been standing over me all night long. Thank you for being with me all night. When was the last time you started your day with gratitude? God loves when you tell him thank you. You know, one of the most romantic things, most intimate things you do in your relationship with God is when you thank him for doing something that the people around you give you credit for doing. Incidentally, this is one of the reasons we tithe. It's also the reason God says it's first fruits. Because it's my way of saying whether people around me understand it or not. God, you did this. I didn't do this. My hands didn't do this. This could be gone in a moment. You did this. And I'm mindful of that. By returning to you, what you have told me belongs to you. My tithe is one of the ways I tell God, thank you for the other 90%. God, thank you. Okay, how often do you tell him thank you? for the oxygen in your lungs, for the heart that beats in your chest? How often do you tell him thank you for the way he provides for you? If it's been a while, I have good news. We're gonna do it right now. Close your eyes. And I want you to think through the romantic list of incredibly extravagant things God has done for you. Since before you were even being formed in your mother's womb, He's been laying out a resume of faithfulness and extravagant generosity out of love for you. Every minute of every day, he does something to merit a thank you from you.
which we don't always see. Just take the next minute or so. And I want you to be as specific as your heart will allow you to be. Go in through this door, lavishing your gratitude. Tell them thank you for everything you can think of right now. Are we having fun yet? I'm starting to hear a little more whispering going on. This is good. I like this. But let me just ask you a question. Is this hard? Is anyone finding this to be difficult? Is anyone finding this to be complicated? Are you seeing how easy God has made it to go into his presence? It's not that hard. It's just not always easy. It takes consistent effort to daily go into his manifest presence. Here's the next thing. Give him praise. Give him praise. The second half of Psalm 100, verse 4, go into his courts, referring to more, more like the inner sanctum of the king, the place where very few get to go, Go into his private courts with what? Now not thanksgiving. Go in there with praise. What's the difference between thanksgiving and praise? Very, very simple. In order to elicit a thank you from you, God had to do something for you. Okay? So the difference between thanksgiving and praise, God had to do something to get your thanks. But to get your praise, he just had to be something. I remember one day... I was in a season of gratitude and I, I didn't really realize how far I had gone down the path. And so there were times I would just say to the Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And I remember one morning he goes, Preston, what would it be like if the only words you heard from your children were thank you? They're great words, son. But did you know there are even better words that I love to hear you say more than thank you? So don't, what is it? What is it? I'll never forget what he said. Preston, thank yous are great, but I love yous are better. I love it when you tell me that you love me and then tell me why. Praise is the intimate act of telling God you love him and why. Can you imagine in my relationship with my wife, if all I ever said to her was, baby, I love you. Like, I love you. I love you. Woman, I love you. I love you. I just want you to know today, I love you. Okay, how many I love yous would it take before she finally would say, tell me why? I appreciate that you love me, but why do you love me? Anyone on the street can tell me they love me. But no one should have a better reason why they love me than you. Don't just tell me you love me. Tell me why. Okay, when was the last time you went into God's presence, into his courts, 
and sounded like this. God, can I just tell you, if you never do another thing for me, it would be okay. Because I love you. I can't believe I get to love you forever. I just want you to know, I'm going to be the most annoying person in heaven. I'm going to stalk you. Because I love you. I just want you to know you're never going to get away from me. The woman with the issue of blood is going to seem like child's play compared to how I hold on to your garment. Because I love you. And I'm going to spend eternity telling you and showing you. Did you know God loves it when you talk like that to him? I have good news. You're going to get a chance right now. Close your eyes. I want you just to get the picture right now of what is happening. The God of the universe is peering over the balcony of heaven, running into this place, going, here it is, here it is. This is what I've been waiting all week for. We haven't talked in a little while. She's about to tell me how much she loves me. This is my favorite part of the week. He's pulling in closer to make sure he hears every word that comes out of your heart. Thank you, Zer Gray. But I love you, Zer Better. I want you to find a way in your heart to tell him how you love him and why in a way your heart has never told him before. This is what love does. It finds a new way to say the old thing. Just take a minute. Get deep down into your heart. Find a way to tell him how much you love him that you've never told him before. Next up, give him a sacrificial gift. Give him a sacrificial gift. We're to the last three. Because of Jesus, love will always be measured by sacrifice. That's John 15. Remember, Jesus said, greater love hath no man. Think about what he's saying. You can search all of human history. You will not find a better love than a love that lays its life down for the one they love. Because of Jesus, proving his love for you by giving up his life, love will always be measured by sacrifice. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 6, one of my favorite moments in Scripture. Solomon's become king. Scripture says, There in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings on it. Okay, hit the pause button. He only had to make one. He only had to make one sacrifice. The guy didn't stop at 10. The guy didn't stop at 100. The guy didn't stop at 500. He kept going till 1,000. Can you imagine how long the people of Israel were standing around waiting for homeboy to stop? 
you'd know there were people off to the side going, this is, this is now getting ridiculous. We're like 137. Enough, Solomon. What's the big deal? Why is Solomon making a thousand sacrifices? I wonder if it's because his daddy, David, before his death said to him, let me give you the best advice I could ever give you, son. Fall in love with your heavenly father. Love him wholeheartedly. And if he ever walks into the room, don't act like it's normal. He's the God of the universe. And when he steps onto the soil you're standing on, freak out about it every time. It's special, son. When God shows up, you need to freak out. And so Solomon doesn't make one sacrifice. He makes a thousand This would be like me going on date night with my wife. And instead of bringing one gift out to the car, I go back in 1,000 individual times to grab another gift to give her. I don't think she's in the service because I don't want her to think that's actually a possibility. (laughs) Think about it. He didn't stop. He kept sacrificing. Why? Because sacrifice is one of the biggest ways love can be measured. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you sacrificed something to God? How can his love for you cost him everything and your love for him cost you nothing? That's called inequitable. So let's take a moment. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to search your heart for something he wants to receive in this moment, a sacrifice of praise. Give him something you've never given him before. Just lay something of value at his feet. All right, let's keep going. Two more. Give him what he asked for. You want to experience more of God's manifest presence in your everyday life? When he asks you for something, give it to him. There's a word for this, obedience. John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Understand what Jesus is saying here. Preston, when I ask you for something, and you don't do what I ask, you need to understand it impacts our friendship. It impacts our relationship. This is is just common sense, right? I mean, think about it in terms of marriage. What would it be like if uh, the morning of date day with my wife, at the beginning of the day, she said, hey, I know today's date day, and I got a lot of stuff I've got to accomplish. Will you help me today by doing a few of the things so that I can be fully ready and present for date night tonight? Sure, babe, what do you need? Can you pick up Press from school? Can you drop him off at the house? Can you pick up Tyler from school? Drop him off at the house. And then an hour later, can you take Press to baseball? And 30 minutes after that, can you take Tyler to practice? 
can you do this for me? And what would happen if I looked at my wife and didn't say it to her face, but as she walked away from my presence, I had the thought, I ain't doing that. That's your job. I would never say that to her face, by the way. I don't feel like doing that. So it's time for date night. And I get home from the office and I honk, text her, ask if she's ready. She comes out to the car. I open the door, I put her in the passenger seat, shut the door. I go to sit back behind the wheel. And she says, as I am putting the car in reverse, how did it go taking care of the boys today? How would things go if I, in that moment, responded by saying, I didn't do it. I decided not to. Question, how would date night go from there on out? Okay, there would be no date night. She would get out of the moving vehicle and go back into the house. Why? Because there's something incredibly disrespectful when love asks you to do something and you make the determination that love is not worth it enough to do what they've asked you to do. See, we look at obedience like it's some religious thing. No, it's romantic. Jesus makes it relational. Preston, when I ask you to do something, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but I love it when you do what I ask. Okay, let's spin date night the other direction. If my wife texts me like she did last night, and says, now date day is usually Friday, Saturday. She says, you know what sounds great? We need to go on a date, just the two of us sometime, and have Indian food. It's been way too long. Okay, if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that is not wishful thinking. It's actually an order. <laughs> what she's saying to me is, hey, Read between the lines, homeboy. Indian food sounds good, and I want to be alone with you tonight. Now, this is how I responded. That's amazing. That's what I was in the mood for, too. And she says, it's 2.30. What time do you want to go? I said, they open at 5. We will leave the house at 4.30. The message I was sending was, hey, my heart heard your heart ask me to do something. And I want you to know, this love responds immediately. Whether you meant it to be immediate or not, this is what we're doing tonight. Because this is what your heart asked for. Okay, why do we think God is any different? Let me show it to you. He goes on record. 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. God loves when you do what he asks, even more than when you bring him something he didn't ask for. All right, so close your eyes. We're going to give him a moment because this is what love does. Love says to its beloved, is there anything you would like me to do right now in this moment? So I want you just to take the next minute and I want you to give him the chance to ask you for something. then respond however you need to.
All right, last one. This is my favorite one. Give him your whole heart. Give God your whole heart. I want to teach you something that I don't think I've ever taught you over the last eight years. And for some of you, it's, it's going to shock you a little bit theologically, possibly. And here's what I want to teach you. God plays hard to get. God plays hard to get from time to time. And I can prove it to you very simply. God hides. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. But I want you to understand this is how love operates. From time to time, it hides. It withdraws, wanting to be chased. When I first was dating my wife, uh, before we were married, I remembered the night that I decided I'm going to kiss this girl. Tonight is the night. We had gone on a date. I was dropping her off at her place. We pull outside uh, up front, and I put the car in park trying to send a subliminal message, ready thyself, woman. And so I begin the lean. I'm sure I look something like this. And I got to about 18 inches away from the girl's face, and I noticed something. She was laughing. Never a good thing, okay? But 18 inches away, you got a decision to make. Do you go the distance or do you call an audible and just back that thing up? My pride was way too involved. I was like, I ain't backing up. I'm pot committed at this point. So I just kept moving closer. She starts laughing harder. And she's laughing so hard, all of her teeth are exposed. And when I get right here, I literally kiss her teeth and don't even touch her lips. I did not understand what she was doing. I thought I'd received all the signals. You like me, I like you. And then she sends a shot across the bow. Holmes, I set the rules in this relationship. It's not when you want it, it's when I do. A funny thing happened 24 hours later when we had another date. At the end of the date, she initiated a kiss with me after rejecting me 24 hours earlier. Now, I want you to know, because I'm so pure of heart, I didn't do to her what she did to me. Actually, I just really wanted to kiss her, so I didn't care. And so we kissed for the first time. Technically, our second kiss, but the first time I kissed her without kissing her teeth. She was letting me understand, hey, this isn't going to be as easy as you think. She wasn't really playing a game. But this is how love sends a message from time to time. And I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. For God, hiding isn't a game for him to play. It's a test for you to pass. Let me say it even more clearly. God doesn't hide so you'll never find him. God hides because one of his favorite things is when you find him. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12. How many of you have heard Jeremiah 29, 11 incessantly since the day you, you gave your life to Christ? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have, says the Lord. Okay, one of the most commonly quoted scriptures, and I hate that it's one of the most commonly quoted. I don't hate the verse, I just hate that it's one of the most commonly quoted. And the reason is because sometimes I think the devil gets us keyed in on one verse so we'll be distracted from a verse that follows it that's even better than it. I wanna show you in Jeremiah 29, what is so much better that God says than I know the plans I have for you? Because think about it, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years now. And at this stage of the game and my relationship with him, I don't care what the plan is. I really don't. I don't care what your plan is for our church, for my life. I don't care what your plan is. As long as your plan involves us being together, I don't care what your plan is. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 29, verse 12. In those days when you pray, Preston, I'm going to listen. He's speaking to the Israelites, but he's also speaking to me and you. If you look for me, Preston, wholeheartedly, well, why would I have to look for him wholeheartedly if he weren't hiding a little bit every once in a while? If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Listen to verse 14. Preston, I will be found by you. 
Because one of my favorite things, child, is when you find me. I love it when you search for me. I don't hide because I'm playing a game with you. I hide because I want to be with you. I will be found by you. Oh, God just seems so distant from me right now. Then chase him. Stop assuming it's because he's mad. Maybe he's just doing what love does, withdrawing. My heart has heard you say, come away with me. And God, my heart is responding, saying, Lord, I am coming. And I want you to hear that love has a language, a way of talking. When your love for God is wholehearted with all of your heart, there's a sound. And I want to read it to you. Psalm 63, verse 1. Listen to what David says. He says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly or wholeheartedly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land where there is no water, my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you, God. When was the last time you let your heart talk to your God like that? Well, Preston, that's something David did. No, that's something God wants you to do. So we're going to do it right now. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to let your heart find a new language. It needs to be ooey gooey. Not religious romantic tell him lavish your love on him in this moment with your whole heart I want to invite you to stand and I want you to grab the communion elements that you were given when you walked in. Go ahead and take the bread as you're standing out of the package. You may be in a dry season spiritually. I want to help you understand what you just did. You spent nearly 10 minutes of this service alone with the Lord. And some of you said some things to him you maybe have never said to him in your whole life. And I want you to understand what, what he's doing, how he's responding. You have to understand the giddiness of God. When we do these kinds of things, he, he just starts going like, you gotta be kidding me. You're talking like this to me? You want to do this for me? You know the best part about Solomon's 1,000 sacrifices? That God comes to Solomon that night and he says, what do you want? 
Ask me for anything, I'm gonna do it for you. God was so giddy at Solomon's extravagant love in that moment that God said, I love it when you do this. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want, I'll do it. As we take this bread in our hands, one of the most beautiful things about this bread is every time we take it into our bodies, we are being reminded just how badly God wanted to have relationship with us. It cost him his son. And without hesitation, he did that just to be with you. Jesus, thank you for giving up your life in our place. And as we take this bread, we do what you asked us to do. Starting that very first night, you wanted us to remember you. You were pointing to this meal and saying, this is relational, not religious. I did this so you could spend forever with my father. Please remember me and my romantic why for laying down my life for you. Let's take the bread. The same way that night Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Preston, the reason you can go in to my Father's presence is because you've allowed my blood to cover your sin. And Preston, every time you're grateful when you go into my Father's presence and he doesn't beat you over the head because of the sin you've committed, I want you to remember it was my blood that took care of that. Jesus, as we take this cup, we tell you, were it not for you, we'd spend forever separated from the Father. You shed your blood so we could spend forever with him. God, I pray we wouldn't wait for eternity. We wouldn't wait for heaven to experience the intimate manifest presence of God in our everyday lives. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood so that we could go in to his presence. Let's take the cup. You can just hold on to that. We're about to dismiss. I wanna invite our altar ministry team to come forward. Rather than have the ministry moment that we typically have at the end, you've been having it from beginning to end of this sermon. And I want you to remember the best sermons are not where I do something in them. The best sermons are when you do something with them. I hope you understand just how special you are to God, that he wants to spend a lot more time with you this week. As your heart hears him, say, come away with me. My prayer for you this week is that your heart would respond saying, Lord, I'm coming. I'm gonna pray a blessing over you and if after we dismiss, you need somebody to pray with because of something in the message or maybe something has nothing to do with the message. As everyone else is leaving, you come get what you need, all right? God, thank you for loving each of these incredible people the way that you do. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, that it would be impossible to exit this room without encountering you face to face. God, you love us more than we can wrap our minds around. Thank you for not making it complicated. Lord, I'm not smart enough for the protocol of your presence to be complicated. You've made it just so simple. God, would you sweep each of us off of our feet in relationship with you? Pray this week you would show us a side of yourself we've never seen. And I pray each one of us would respond by showing you a part of our heart we've never let you see before. Let it be so in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.